Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. So first, I need to explain where this series is going, what is exactly happening these next five services as we anticipate uh, Jesus' second coming, as we look back and celebrate Jesus' first coming. What is it that we're uh, doing? And so I'm going to tell a story that every Christian in the room already knows and that everybody in the room is exploring faith. You need to know this in advance so that you know what you're signing up for if you ever investigate faith seriously uh, as it relates to Jesus And this is what the story looks like. You had a wall in your dining room that just begged to be an accent wall. Who here already knows what I'm talking about? There's just, this room needs some color. It doesn't have to be a whole lot, but that wall right there, it's staring at me, especially us millennials. You see that we've been so influenced by Starbucks. We don't do white walls. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. And so you reach out and you find somebody who's a good painter, who's gonna do a great job and and maybe they're an interior designer, they know the perfect color. And you reach out and you call this guy named Jesus and and he's going to get this wall in your dining room to be the perfect color. Now, the thing is, is you look back on the situation and you realize he never said specifically that all he was going to do was paint that wall, but that's what you told him. You were issuing orders because you're paying him, right? This is how a contractual relationship works. I give you money and you do what I say. But Jesus came into your house and he worked all day long and you come home from work to this. Because you see, if Jesus Christ is actually God, he doesn't do small contractual obligations with mere mortals. If he is the author and perfecter of our faith, if he's the creator of the universe He not only knows how to decorate your house, he knows how to build it, how to rebuild it, who built it in the first place. He even knows your parcel number by heart. You see, you don't take somebody who was the engineer who built it in the first place and you don't relegate him to some small little corner of his sovereignty and his knowledge. That's not how this works. And so every Christian, this is why I say every Christian knows this, This is what your life looks like shortly after becoming a Christian. I see, I needed some help with my marriage, and so I came to Jesus. But then he starts wrecking a shop. He tells me that I can't look at porn anymore. I no, 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 no. Jesus, I wanted my marriage to be better. I brought you here for a specific purpose. It's in the contract. And then Jesus starts messing with my money, and then Jesus tells me I'm being really disrespectful to my boss at work, but Jesus, you know my boss is a jerk. Why are you messing with these other relationships? I came to you specifically. I I wanted my marriage to be better. Because somebody told you, I hope, that Jesus is not a genie, he's a deity. And he does not mess around. You see, he loves you so much, he's gonna tear out the things that really desperately need to be torn out, and he's going to put something in place that's far more beautiful, far more functional, but it's gonna be painful. This is not gonna be easy, it's not going to be fast, but it will be worth it. Jesus himself said about the Christian life, listen, you wanna know about the kingdom of God? It's like this. A man should count carefully how much gold he has before he decides to build this big old building. 
Because if he doesn't, maybe he's halfway finished, he runs out of money, and then all his friends are laughing at him. Or a man who's going to go to war, one king against the other, and he doesn't count carefully how many soldiers he has, finds out his opponent has twice the size of an army. Oops. Maybe you should have counted your soldiers before you declared war. Does that sound like a wise decision? Jesus is not interested, read it for yourself, his own words, he is not interested in being brought in as a contractor to make one or two small tweaks to your life or to mine. In fact, such a request is offensive. If he's actually God, then asking to do him to do a small thing is offensive. Asking for the big things is actually the only appropriate request. If you're a member of ARCF, you've heard this story before, you're gonna have to bear with me one more time. There was a general that fought alongside um, and for Alexander the Great for about seven or eight years. And if you know, Alexander the Great's career was only about 12 years old, 12 years because he died young. But he had won battle after battle after battle for Alexander, and his daughter was getting married. And so from far away, he sends this letter requesting the most expensive and outlandish wedding that the empire had ever heard of. And Alexander's inner circle get all into a tizzy. Oh my gosh, this is so offensive. Oh my gosh, Alexander's gonna fire him or kill him. How could he, how, how could he be so brazen as to ask for such an unbelievable sum of money for his daughter's wedding? So they're all nervous, but they give it to Alexander anyway. And Alexander says, he stops and thinks for a minute. And he says, my general has complimented me in two different ways. Number one, he believes I am wealthy enough to say yes to this request, thereby giving me honor. Number two, his request reveals that he believes I am generous enough to say yes. So he has complimented me in two ways. And he said yes to the request. You don't do business with Jesus for a small little piece of your heart, for a little small piece of your mind, a small piece of your finances or your life. Hey, I wanna bring you in. You're a consultant. I need you to fix A, B, or C. The problem is that the Bible, 66 books, reveal Jesus Christ to be a king. And you and I struggle with that one because we think we get to vote every two years. So we decided to become a Christian and we very quickly regretted it because we come home and our house looks like this. Anybody come home and Jesus did this? Okay? I can promise you the regret is short-lived because what comes after this phase of a renovation, anybody that's watched HGTV knows this is the first 10 minutes of the show, right? Do you know the end result is beautiful? Do you know the end result is something you and I could not have come up with on our own? These shows, I mean, let's, let's be real honest, they send these families away on seven-day vacations. That's how useless the family is. We just needed your permission. You go to Disney for six or seven days, and when you come back, it'll be done. That's how helpful you are in this process, right? So this journey, this series, A Transformed Christmas, we're going to talk about a Jesus who fundamentally transforms every single part of the human existence. If you think that's superlative, keep coming on Sundays. There's no part of the human existence Jesus did not come 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin, decides to take on flesh, become a human being, 
in, his, in addition to his divine nature, there's nothing in the human existence that he did not come to redeem, to make right. There's no darkness he didn't come to push back. Yeah, feel free to get cited at any point. Because 2020, if it's nothing, it's complaining about the darkness. This is dark, and this is dark, and this is dark, and this is dark. And we're gonna find out that all the pieces of the world that need transformation, every single one of them, Jesus Christ has already said, I have already started transforming it in my first coming, or I have promised its redemption in my second coming. So Advent is the answer, whether you're looking forward in time or backward. This is a, um, amongst Roman historians, a pretty famous painting. It's called The Rape of the Sabine Women. Now, it's definitely dramatized because it was not technically rape. Rome, the city, before it was an empire, was a group of about 400 men. They had, to attract members, they had really lowered the bar, <laughs> the standards of who was allowed to come and get a free you know, five-acre plot of land. Before they know it, they look and they go, hey, it's just dudes here. How can we be a city without any ladies? What's going on? Well, they were kind of the scum and villainy that had kind of been attracted there. And so nobody was excited about giving their daughter in marriage to a Roman. The word Roman had already become a byword. And so Rome, these 400 men, do exactly what nefarious men would do is they went, and if you've read the Bible, you've heard a similar story. This also happened in Canaan at a different time. But they basically... During a, an annual ritual, which would be very weird to our 21st century sensibilities, an annual ritual by which men chose a wife, Rome showed up uninvited, grabbed 400 wives for themselves, and ran off. So to our 21st century ears, it sounds straight up like kidnapping. It was a little bit more nuanced than that. Uh, these ladies were expecting to find a husband that day. They just didn't think they were finding a Roman husband. So they were, they were shocked, but probably not as shocked as their parents were. And so here's what happens. So the, these 400 or so women from the, the people called the Sabines, they are now married to 400 Roman men, and there is, shocker, conflict. There are fights, there are wars, people die, etc. And this goes on for about five years until the women stand up and say, Hold on. Whatever your conflict was five years ago, it has fundamentally changed. And they pull out their three and four year old sons and daughters. They say, You don't get it. If you guys fight, my husband on one side or my brother or my father on the other side, I'm losing family no matter what happens. You all have the same grandkids. Doesn't matter that you hate each other. You have the same grandkids now. And so the women interceded. They wanted, I think they all needed, a fundamentally transformed relationship, one that had been conflict and they needed peace. They weren't saying, hey, what our husbands did was right, but they were saying, 
I can't lose my husband and I can't lose my brother and my father. You guys have to stop fighting. You have to stop. This intercession, again, it was about a transformed relationship. They didn't want a little cute little peace contract signed out without an active change societally. They wanted something that was actually transformed. Here's your first and only point for the sermon today. Jesus came and interceded as well. He came to transform humanity's relationship to God. Jesus came to transform our relationship with God. Let's take a look at Romans 5. Read the first 11 verses. The Apostle Paul, writing about 30 or 40 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. Therefore, since we have been made right... Wait, 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 wait. What does therefore mean in English? So what he's about to say is tied to what he's been saying. So this is a terrible place for a chapter to start. Let's back up a verse and find out what the therefore is there for. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Who do you think Paul's talking about? Mm -hmm. I keep telling you guys, you don't know the answer. Just say Jesus. You're probably right. (laughs) Jesus or Moses or Charlton Heston at least. He was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God, to fundamentally transform our relationship. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. He's just saying Jesus Christ's death on the cross on our behalf is what makes us at peace with God, transforms the relationship. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently, did you hear that undeserved privilege? Mm. I'm going to stop myself, I'm going to stop and preach here. Undeserved privilege. An arrogant Christian is the most oxymoronic thing on planet earth. Undeserved privilege. Jesus died for you. You didn't die for you. Chill out. Okay, undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Oh boy. Can we just agree that if that's true, that that's a big deal. I know there are tons of opinions about the Bible, there are tons of opinions about how Christianity got made up after the fact. If that was true, 
that's a huge deal. Because he just said, I was God's enemy. And that relationship was fundamentally transformed by somebody else, not by me. Huh. So for those of you note takers, three little blanks we're gonna fill in related to this text. First, we are at war with God because Jesus' blood washes away our guilt. Before, Jesus' blood washes away our guilt. If you've got a background in the Bible, you know this one. This one goes way back. This is a very old, well-established theme. Well before Jesus arrives, the people of God know that they have guilt before God because of our rebellion against him, our self-reliance. No, we got this. We're smarter than you. But if you're new, you need to know. <clears throat> it's not the Rona. Okay. This is critical that every one of us understand because <clears throat> if we do not understand that there's a God whose his character is the very definition and essence of all that is good and right in the universe, then we can't understand that maybe I've said or done something to offend his holiness. Um, I, I've said many times in the last few years as racial tensions have gotten higher and higher in our country, um, there are a lot of SJWs out there that will say racism is wrong, but only a Christian SJW can say why. I can tell you that a black man is made every bit in the image of God as a white woman or a Japanese child, like all desperately loved by our creator with our creator's fingerprints all over us. I know why racism is wrong. And I, it's not because I made it up. I did not just pull that one out of my hip pocket. Okay? I know why sexism and chauvinism are wrong because the book says he made them. Male and female, he created them. And all of this brokenness and all of this darkness around us, we need to establish that there might be, it's easy to rage at the darkness outside of us. Oh, that racist jerk over there. But God is saying, hey, you're no picnic either. This same pastor named Paul said it this way, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's a theological way of saying God demands moral perfection. That's actually the world he created in the Garden of Eden. Moral perfection wasn't even supposed to be that hard. And we said, no, God, we're smarter than you. You're holding out on us. So understanding that our rebellion put us at a state of war with God and all of the creation and all of these relationships and all society's brokenness flows naturally out of rebelling against the gift giver. You can cuss out your uncle, but then don't be surprised when a few weeks later at Christmas he didn't send you something. Okay? The brokenness of human existence flows out of a war between God and man. Okay? Okay? Secondly, being at, oh, being at peace with God is an undeserved privilege. I already emphasized that back at verse two. You cannot wash away your own sins, so to be put in a peace, in, in a relationship with God where you're no longer fighting with each other, that has to be done by somebody's mercy, somebody outside of you. And I've said to this church so many times, did Muhammad die to wash away your sins? Okay? 
I'm not bagging on our Muslim friends. I'm just asking the question. Did Muhammad ever even claim to wash away your sins? I, I will never tell this church not to read other texts. I've read the Quran. He never even claimed it, okay? Did Buddha die to wash away your sins? Did he even claim to? You know, I could go down the list, okay? Go down the list. If Jesus dies for my sins, not only is that the best news in the whole world if I realize that I need forgiveness, but it's intensely undeserved and I can't pull a muscle patting myself on the back. I'm a Christian, I'm a good person. No, saying I am a Christian is akin to saying I went to the beach, I wasn't a good swimmer, I drowned, and this lifeguard pulled me out. Who did all the work? Yeah, don't pull any muscles, Christians. No muscle pulling. I was floating face down. That's where I was. I was morally dead. The scriptures are so clear in using the language of death. We are morally dead because of our rebellion against God. We are not morally sick. Jesse Ventura made the news 20 years ago criticizing, saying religion is a crutch. I'm like, oh, you don't get it, bro. If all I need is a crutch, that means I have one good leg. If all I need is a crutch, is my heart still beating? My brain's still waving? I have so many things that are working just fine if all I need is a crutch. Goodness gracious. The Bible says Greg was dead. If I'm at peace with God now, it's not because I gave money to missionaries and I was really nice to my kids and I went to my Sunday school class faithfully. No, it's because in his providence from eternity past, Jesus Christ planned to die a horrifying death that would be so powerful, it would offer forgiveness for billions and billions and billions of his children. I couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. Merry Christmas. And third, our new relationship with God is the ultimate source of joy. If you've embraced the cross of Christ as how you're going to get your sins forgiven, this new relationship is now a source of joy. And he talked about, just, let's just look at verse three. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help develop endurance. And he talks about all of these pieces of the Christian life. Now that you're at peace with God, there's all this hard work, right? You didn't sign up and get dunked in baptismal waters and now you're done, right? No, there's all of this hard work and he says, amongst other things, that a Christian can and should, between here and Philippians, can and should choose joy even in the worst of circumstances. Anybody here seen some bad circumstances in 2020? Okay. Those silly preachers on TV that tell you Jesus just wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy all the time, they don't have answers for 2020. Other than you didn't have enough faith. You should have had more faith. Clearly. Paul would never abuse you that way. Paul's been beaten more times than he could count. He's been shipwrecked. He's been imprisoned, all for telling people who Jesus is. And from prison, he writes, hey, choose joy in all circumstances. I've learned how to have joy, whether I've got plenty or whether I've got very little. I don't need happiness in the temporal. I know where I'm going. I know who owns me. I owns me with his blood. Joy, brothers and sisters, 
Joy is not being happy all the time. Joy is in the bottom of the pit. I know God has purpose for my suffering and that there is a future trajectory one day where I will not be in this place anymore. Joy is not being happy all the time. You, you guys know happiness can be taken from you in a moment, right? Just a quick text message can ruin any happiness that you think you have. If you are now a friend of God, this relationship is supposed to be your ultimate and ever-flowing source of joy, okay? So I say there there's really should not ever be a grumpy Christian either. No arrogant Christians and no grumpy Christians, all right? Some of my points, that's where the guests are like, amen, you know? So let me tell you one of the most important things I learned when I was a pastor of high school students. I learned that when you scoop it carefully and freeze it, that mayonnaise looks just like vanilla ice cream. <laughs> and let me tell you something you already know. Um, every eighth grade male on the planet is not only overly zealous for anything that is a timed competition and overly zealous about anything that involves food, but overly zealous, of course, to show off in front of the ladies. So I will neither confirm nor deny whether Gregory, one time on a Wednesday night youth group, put two bowls of vanilla ice cream and one bowl of mayonnaise um, in the freezer, had them ready to go for Wednesday night, and because your loving Pastor Greg wouldn't play such a dirty trick on you, nobody is thinking that I've been deceived. So one of the three young men was easily two-thirds the way through his mandates before he could really piece together something is not right. <laughs> I can't put my finger on it. This just is not what I think I signed up for. I know I came to church, but I don't feel like Jesus loves me. Like, there's something wrong. And his face started to betray the fact that he no longer had joy. There was something wrong. Why do I tell you this story? Well, I'm glad you asked. Some of you guys are sitting next to a Christian that their face does not show joy. And I'm not talking about having a bad day. I'm talking about week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And I can't help. The Bible literally says about God, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like ingest him, find out experientially that he's good. And when a Christian just always has a sour face, I cannot help but feeling, and I, and I wanna share this with you in case this is critical for your soul. If you do not have joy and you have no source of joy and you call yourself a Christian, I wanna put forward to you that maybe somebody told you about the wrong Jesus. How much of this Jesus that they told you about are you going to eat up and eat up and eat up and everybody else is happy but you're not? At some point, don't you look down in the bowl and go, I'm just not so sure. 
The Bible says over and over and over again that a restored relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ is now an eternal wellspring, a source of joy. And if there is no joy, if there is no forgiveness in your heart, if there's no hope in your mind, if the various things that the Bible describes for a friend of God, if those things are just not there, when are you gonna look back into your bowl and go, what is it exactly that I've been eating? Because the people around me say that they're Christians too and they have joy. They forgive others. There are all these things that they have and I don't have. And I'm gonna keep bringing this up because frankly there are just multiple Jesuses in our world. Okay, there just are. When a Jehovah's Witness talks to you about Jesus, he or she means something. There are specific definitions that go with the word Jesus. When one of our Mormon friends talks to you about Jesus, there are certain definitions that go along with that, okay? And my answer, always, 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 my answer to you for how to tell the difference between vanilla Jesus and mayonnaise Jesus is to read this and study it deeply for yourself. I cannot give you something better because even if I point you to myself, I'm just another person with an opinion. All I can do is beg you to keep reading, beg you to keep studying because there are lots and lots of bowls of mayonnaise in our world. So if you already love Jesus, here's what I want to call you to action this week. Choose joy in all circumstances. This is an actual choice. You can write this down. You can write this on the back of your hand. You can think right now about something you've got coming up this week that you're not excited about. Or something really bad that's happened where you're tempted to even doubt the goodness of God. A Christian has the choice. We have the power to choose God This is hard. I wish it wasn't happening, but I am going to choose to trust you. You have purpose for me to go in in this and through this. The Bible says over and over again that he is with us. Emmanuel means God with us, with us, with us, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Again, those silly preachers will say God is gonna pull you out of the darkness. The Bible says, no, Jesus goes into the darkness with you. That's different. There was no darkness like Good Friday. Jesus went into it and allowed his friends to betray him, allowed the religious elite to give him a joke of a trial, allowed the government to nail him to a piece of wood after ripping the flesh off his back. That is God getting into the trenches with you. Not one who puts on his smiley face and pretends like everything's gonna be okay. Christian, you have the ability, you have the privilege to choose joy even during bad circumstances. And it's not delusion, It's not, I'm happy. No, no, I'm not happy right now. But God's still on his throne and he still has a plan even though I am torn up in my soul. That's joy. That's joy. What I'm feeling right now is terrible and it's real 
And Jesus knew about this moment when he hung on the cross. So I know it's gonna be okay somehow. If you're exploring faith, choose a reconciled relationship to God. Those of you who are regulars, you guys know that I'm a one-trick pony. I'm a broken record around here. And the reason I'm a broken record is you might not have been told before. I want you to know. Jesus' death on a cross was not him running afoul of the religious elite who were jealous of him. It was way bigger than that. He is a sovereign God planned to redeem humanity that way. Out of his love, it was his joy to suffer for those whom he loves. So do not waste the love of God. Please do not waste it. You wouldn't dream of having a rich uncle die and a $5 million check comes in the mail and you kind of hem and haw over whether to deposit that check. You would never do that. So why do we do it with the forgiveness of God? Well, actually there's an answer. I don't want him to do this. This is why I could hear that the God-man died a horrifying death on my behalf to give me complete peace with God and I don't want it. I find it putrid, I find it offensive because I don't wanna be told that anything in my life is wrong. I don't wanna be told anything in my ethics is wrong or maybe I'm okay with that idea theoretically but I just, oh, it's such a mess. I'm gonna have to move furniture We might have to stay in a hotel for a little while. This is just such a mess. And I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. The Christians sitting next to you will happily tell you over lunch today, it's worth it. It's worth it.